0: For September 18th, 2017, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 481. High Rule My Own Head. High Rule, my own head. This is Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier uh, than when we're hanging out together and talking. Usually we talk about our favorite movies, our television shows, our music, the things we're reading or experiencing. But uh, but sometimes we just like to hang out and talk. And there's no one I like to hang out and talk more with than my friend Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. How are you you, doing?
1: you know, I'm doing better this week than I was last week, Matt. That's for sure. You had the,
0: you had the, and I'm, I'm Matt Rather, by the way. And, and, uh, it seems like what well, this is one of our story two handers, Pete. What, what, uh, uh, you were off from the podcast yesterday. So I had no knowledge of your, uh, last week. I mean, you were off from the podcast last week. So I have no knowledge of your life whatsoever because <laughs> the only time I'm aware of you is when we blink into existence for these one hour episodes and then blink out of existence uh, when we say probably doesn't deserve. So let, uh, uh, you know, so, uh, please let me in on, on what's going on.
1: So it's not that exotic. I just got my wisdom teeth out. So, which I'm I'm older.
0: We're getting a little long in the tooth for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, but I missed a podcast because I had to get my wisdom teeth out and I'm a little bit older than i should be to get this sort of thing done if this is something that you have on your docket i would advise you to get it out of the way it does not get easier and and maybe that's the big sort of mission statement it does not get easier uh that we are maybe uh maybe part of what we're talking about and interrogating today because i wanted to talk to you about something specific matt that had to do with my experience over the course of the last couple weeks so I want to I wanted to throw this at you. If, Please if, if throw
0: I'm, it right right, okay. right in my face, right right. R- right in my anesthetized <laughs> you know uh, general anesthetic out face. <laughs>
1: so stories about pain are bad. Stories about pain are often bad stories, and and I will say this: good stories about pain. Good. St- okay, you have a story, and it's about pain. It can either be a good story, or it can be good about pain, <laughs> but it is very hard for it to be both a good story. And good about pain, <laughs> having been experiencing a fair amount of pain, and the kind of pain that doesn't put you totally out other than the first day or two, but the kind of pain that really interferes with your life, your ability to function, a pain, kind of pain that is being managed by a lot of people around the world right now, and it is becoming, I think, increasingly a cultural problem for a lot of people as in addition to other sorts of problems because of the ways that we have to deal with pain. Now, Matt, have you seen the movie Click –
0: No, I haven't. I haven't, but uh, I'm aware of it.
1: So for those of you who don't know, the movie Click is an Adam Sandler film, which is usually – it's a latter-day Adam Sandler film, very solidly located in his latter-day work in that it is widely disregarded (laughs) by a lot of people who like his earlier work better. And it is not that great a movie. I didn't really like it. I think a lot of people thought it was pretty bad. Great movie about pain. (laughs) It's an absolutely great movie about pain. Uh, Star Trek V, I would also say. Is a great movie about pain and a pretty bad movie <laughs> about being a story.
0: Pete, let me, and, share, let me share it with you.
1: Yeah, share your pain. Let
0: me, let me share your pain.
1: <laughs> so the, the idea in both of them, and this is the thesis, is that we as people have a strong uh, impetus process. It's biological. It's psychological uh, to, av- to find a way around pain to find a way to avoid it, to find a way to not experience it, to find a way to shape our perception around it and then sort of deregister it in our minds that you know you and this is it's similar to say if you get a little floater in your eye like if your your vision gets damaged in some small way so that you get a little spot your brain has ways of changing the way your vision works so that you ignore anything that stays in the same place all the time while everything else is moving and you end up not really seeing the sort of scratches and pops as much as you might that might cloud your vision and i kind of feel like pain is similar in that um, we are sort of taught through the culture that pain is a sort of proactive, active, conscious experience. And certainly the initial bit of any sort of pain is kind of like that, where it, it is very, it is nothing if not present. It is irresolvably, irreconcilably present in a way so few other things are. But then over time, The experience of pain becomes something of an experience of attempted absence where you try not to participate in the thing that hurts. And maybe I'm projecting. Maybe I'm just talking about how I do it. I try not to participate in whatever hurts. I want to participate in things other than the thing that hurts because as human beings, this is how we heal and move on, whereas other animals, you know, horse breaks his leg and they shoot the horse. And again, I'm not a horse doctor. But you know, human beings, we we grow scar tissue better. I'm not, we I'm not a horse doctor.
0: I don't know. I don't know the technical term for shooting a horse in the head. I mean, you know, there's probably some Greek word for it. But you know, bottom line, you shoot the horse in the head,
1: right? And they didn't shoot. They don't shoot. They shoot horses, don't they? But they don't shoot fenzels, thankfully. Uh, so, I'm, so um, glad, I'm so glad. for that. <laughs> they they shoot, well, up.
0: I hope they shoot them full of Novocaine and then you know give them some uh, nitrous oxide or whatever it is. Is that the is that the anesthetic of choice? Can any MDs or uh, or um, dentists? Uh, what is the degree DDSs? Who who or any medical practitioner who knows? Uh, tell us what they knock you out with now for a uh, uh, common wisdom tooth uh, well. extraction.
1: I mean, I I went to an oral surgeon who put me under general anesthesia because my wisdom teeth were in pretty bad shape. So I didn't get to use the knockout gas, the crazy purple knockout gas that comes out of the umbrella of the oral surgeon. (laughs) He sneers about tying you to the conveyor belt. But the movie Click with Adam Sandler is very straightforward premise. It's about a dad who gets a remote control that allows him to fast forward his through parts of his life that he doesn't like and sort of like play fast forward, pause, like things like that. And. Late in the movie, and again, this is sort of spoilers for Click, uh, he, he starts fast-forwarding through the unpleasant things, and, and later in the movie, he gets cancer, and he starts fast-forwarding through the painful parts of his cancer treatment with the result that he skips almost the entirety of the second half of his life and doesn't get to experience anything and just dies and angel christopher walken like descends to him and has like a sort of medieval theater style moral conversation with him about what has just happened and and why this has all taken place and uh Having been laid up for two weeks or so with a fair amount of pain, I intuitively understand what this movie is trying to say about pain, which is that, you know, you want to work around it, but whatever sort of semblance of life you can put together around this sort of presence of your pain is a challenge, because you you want to cope around it. You want to heal around it. You don't want to incorporate it into your active experience of what you're doing at any given moment. Pain makes you do things less. Pain makes you disengage. And uh, we celebrate people who engage through pain and who do more through pain, but it is not the, I think the sort of default state of how pain works. And even doing that, I think involves a certain amount of disengagement and certainly training, right? Training yourself so that you do it automatically rather than willfully, that sort of thing. Um, But when I think about you know this Adam Sandler movie and I think about pain, I think about. Pulling away and the, and the sort of urge and the impetus to pull away from the experience of your life and to pull away from the experience of whatever hurts and then building your experience out of what's left. And since good stories that are about people tend to want to incorporate as much of the experience of those people as possible, then the more pain that you try to incorporate into your story, if you incorporate it honestly, the less engaged your story gets with like what you actually would want to see if you're watching a story. Mm. Um, like, like, and this is just a conjecture, and I'm basing it off of Click and a couple of other movies. I mean, even think about something like a Darren Aronofsky movie where there's like tons of pain, but also this is distinct from things like dread, panic, anxiety states that are, you know, potentially could be described as painful, but aren't really pain well, in that's the sense a, that I'm talking about.
0: I mean, that's that's sort of. That's very interesting. Like, in, in, I'm thinking of Requiem for the Dream. I think a lot of the time lapse in Requiem for a Dream has the effect of doing what you're talking about, right? Of kind of, of, of kind of like, st- kind of stating a fact without making you endure the fact, you know, mm-hmm. or sort of, de- kind of cope. It doesn't necessarily confront you with the lived experience of what some of those things. Um, in that movie, I guess, involving drugs and other things like, uh, uh, what that means, but yeah. Okay. So what, one of the things I wanted to push you on was, was definition of terms are, are you talking about physical pain? I mean, are you talking about when your body hurts?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think that there, there is an emotional sort of pain that in, in terms of a qualia sense is not that distinguishable from physical pain, but it is not most emotional pain. That's I think a pretty small subset. Of psychological or Sure,
0: yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think there are certain things that can happen that, and and they're generally around like big ruptures in life, death, separations, endings, things you know, things like that that can have that. That can have that effect of uh, of this kind of constantly present, constantly present ache. But that's it's almost like psychosomatic. It's almost like the the the, the emotional pain is so bad that it becomes manifested as I mean, manifested as physical pain. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. I, I'm I'm it's one of those those things that you don't want to sort of wade. Wait into too much, or at least I'm I'm wary of doing it because you know I don't want to sort of trivialize anyone's experience by trying to talk about it in the abstract. And it's I think mm-hmm. th- I think that it's one of those things that that you kind of can't talk about in the abstract, or that you can't abstract. You can talk about it in the abstract, but you can't abstract because it it sort of forces you into uh, it sort of forces you into, as you say, into into the present moment. I don't know my I I have. Um, it you know i don't know it's interesting right because we don't we're still i think pete you and i like shy of 40 are still young enough that we don't and and not having had any uh you know long-term i don't know back surgery or anything like that right Mm -hmm. like um have uh are probably not familiar with pain the way it becomes a more average expectable experience uh, I mean, as, I've, as you I've age. I've spent
1: like a, probably at least a total of three or four years of my life in some degree of chronic back pain. Uh. I had like a two-year... Recovery process from a pretty bad injury oh you did you injured yeah,
0: you injured yourself yeah. it 's a, a sports injury, and i 'm thinking of our friend yeah. uh, Javi also who had a, a very bad back injury following a car accident and things like that, so that you so that you guys like have the experience of sort of living with it day to day in a way that might not be the average expectable experience for someone our age, but I think increasingly becomes. A more average expectable experience as you know what I mean, as you get older and as your body doesn't recover, and as you sort of as more stuff starts to as more stuff kind of starts to happen that that you're 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 less resilient, uh, you're less resilient for. I
1: would I would add that it's not just about whether you're more or less resilient to it, it's also about things that. Have a sort of accruing quality of damage yes. happen too, and and those things will eventually come to a head. And that, in my case, right, right, right. Over-
0: even if you right. don't feel it, even if you don't feel it as a as a high school athlete, right? You, yeah. Those those things are still kind of lurking, uh, lurking under the surface somewhere, you know, yeah. ready to ready, and the cumulative effect of them. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's. I don't know. It's sort of. I are mean, you are you
1: struggling with this, Matt? You seem to be struggling with this. Well, I mean, this is exhibiting what I'm talking about. It's a hard subject to discuss and to storytell about in an active present way, uh, for a bunch of reasons. Anyway, do no, continue. Continue.
0: I mean, are, are you are you familiar with the? Um, I don't know. I I, I feel like there is pain. There's the fact of it, and there's the kind of sensation of it. But it's it's almost impossible. I think to separate it from the narrativization because there's a there is a constant self narrativization that goes on right like we sort of run storylines in in our heads a lot and that's it's never like you know oh my hand hurts you know, right? Like, or uh, with me, I have a, an Achilles injury from from uh, from running, and so I've been I've been uh, off my feet for a little. Well, not off my feet, but off running for a little while. Not even walking that much. And and um, it's like, oh, my my tendon, my Achilles tendon hurts today, and that's just a that's just a thing that happens. But then there's like there are. Uh, psychological things that that come in with that. There are sort of storylines that run run with that. Like, oh, I screwed up somehow by you know by getting this running injury, and what an idiot I am for having done that. Or, or oh God, what if it never gets better? What if I'm just you know limping around the rest of my life? Or what you know what I mean? What if this is the new normal? Um, And, uh, and things like this. Are you, my, a lot of my thinking about this is sort of influenced by something that, that I'm investigating currently, which is, you know, meditation and, and, uh, and kind of Buddhist thought generally, and yeah. I'm not. I'm not a Buddhist. I have too much respect for the people who dedicate their lives <laughs> to that path to uh, to ever uh, claim to be, you know, anything but a very curious bystander. Um, you know, trying to to glean some wisdom from from things that people things that people write. But I gather that there's a there's a, a Buddhist parable um, called the Second Arrow. Is it, is it one that you happen to be? familiar with
1: no 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 by all means okay
0: so the the buddha is sitting there being the buddha and teaching people buddha things um and he says yo dog uh if you if i shot you with an arrow would that hurt and they were like yes sir mr the buddha sir that would hurt it's like okay quick follow-up if i shot you again with a second arrow would that hurt more they're like wtf mr the buddha sir yes of course it would hurt more and uh uh, and then you know the Buddha like glowed uh, with his Buddha glow and said um, the the crappy thing that happens to you in life is the first arrow your own thinking is the second arrow mm-hmm. right and that um, that in this in this. Uh, in this um, sort of thing, like, you can actually reduce suffering as distinct from the the actual phenomenon of pain, the actual physical, the actual kind of unmediated experience. You can reduce suffering around it by altering your thinking about it. So it seems to be that, like, uh, narrativizing yeah, yeah. it yet in a certain way is uh, is important. And I think there are now though. I'm not one thing I'm not on board with is the kind of the current Vogue in what gets called mindfulness, um, which is like, uh, you know, supposed to like make us, make us all okay with our lives as, as middle managers, but like, I don't know, somehow like more, more at peace with it, like just as materialistic as before, but, uh, but like a little, a little calmer (laughs) about it. Like that's, you know, but, uh, in this, in this uh, body of research that's developing for chronic pain management, this sort of like meditation, which is the sort of retraining of the mind uh, not to engage in storylines around uh, experiences, um, seems to have some sort of uh, – seems to have some sort of uh, effect.
1: Yeah. I mean the story that, you, that this reminds me of that you're talking about is the chemical burn sequence from Fight Club. Right. Where Ed Norton has his hand out, and Brad Pitt is holding it, and he he puts the lie on his skin to make his skin burn, and Ed Norton attempts to go into his his penguin cave and and kind of get outside of his painful thinking and get to his sort of peaceful place and and uh, Brad Pitt insists that he bring himself to the moment of the pain that he's feeling and uh, and that he experiences it. And it's interesting to think about this in the context of both – Uh, Because there's more than one thing that's happening. There's more than one thing that's being referred to here, and I think that the chemical burn is more of a metaphor than than a chemical burn. (laughs) This is not good advice for how to handle a chemical burn. No,
0: it's a a terrible idea. (laughs) And
1: and it's also not how human beings, in a biological sense, tend to handle things like chemical burns. And, And the idea that you're exposed to a lot of pain, it will actually shape how you experience the pain in the future, and experiencing a lot of pain can actually make you experience more pain in the future, you don't necessarily get like tougher. Uh, you, you, you build your way around it, but it, it, you know, it can still stay with you, all this other stuff. But the main thing being that the feeling of the story about disengaging from your pain, your physical pain being a bad thing, it seems to be more about disengaging from the authenticity of your life than about how to deal with an actual injury. Or wound. And and so, and so it's interesting because— Right,
0: like there's a whole biological system of shock that exists yeah. to kind of insulate you from the actual experience of a real wound or a real, you know, traumatic injury of some kind.
1: And, and the Buddha is speaking metaphorically in a similar manner, it seems, in your story, where I would say, well, maybe the second arrow doesn't actually hurt more because you're already in shock from the first arrow and you pass out or you don't feel anything in the, in the immediate term. But, um, but if you consider the Fight Club story to be about how to deal with physical pain, it doesn't really seem to reflect the experience of a lot of people that I know about how to deal with physical pain, uh, or my own experience. But if you consider it to be sort of about emotional pain and about uh, the self and engagement with the self, then it becomes a better story because it's about even even though what he does is kind of pathological and it's not necessarily recommending that you do the things that he does. He's not a happy person. Uh, he's not a successful person. He doesn't really have a lot of people in his life who love him or that he loves. Uh, you know, he's not. He's not. He's Charles Barkley playing basketball with Barney the Dinosaur. He's not a role model, right? Um, but it is. it does feel like the gears are meshing and that there's a story that's being told that has human stakes. And in doing that, it is getting away from this idea of how kind of pain tends to actually work or at least it, how it feels to me uh, that pain works
0: sure i mean one of the things one of the things that that happens in the kind of uh, quote-unquote mindfulness-based training for pain management is to to actually sort of feel the the pain to kind of experience it mm-hmm. and and experience the the dimensions of it rather than trying to ignore or avoid it um you know the idea being yeah. that those uh that those uh, those mechanisms, those psychological mechanisms can kind of trap you at a plateau level of it mm. and are actually not uh, super adaptive in terms of making it uh, you know uh, making it better, making it more man- more manageable, yeah. I guess you know to to the extent yeah. that it is
1: now what makes me think of is this is a meditation technique, so it requires focus, so they're saying that one way to deal with it is to just focus on it and to feel it and to kind of put everything else aside for a moment and, and not have any sort of impetus to have to do anything. That, is, that to me is the most useful thing about mindfulness in general. And again, I don't necessarily ascribe to it as, as a personal identifier, but I think there are things about it that are good. One of the things I think that is good about mindfulness is letting yourself uh, accept the notion that you don't have to do any, anything about everything that you feel. That something can have, be a strong emotion, something – if you are the kind of person who tends to feel like you have to do something to react to something that you feel, that can create a lot of problems because your feelings are hypocritical and logically inconsistent and also sometimes self-destructive. So you don't always need to follow a course of action that's related to what you feel. Uh, yeah, and, or
0: you, you yeah. also don't have to, to follow the first course of action because very often those things are sort of ingrained patterns that you kind yeah. of engage in, engage in without, without reflection.
1: Right, right, and, and so uh, – but at the same time, if you get caught into the reaction of I'm going to disallow myself from feeling this at all, I'm going to completely shut it down, I'm going to completely uh, deny it, then the subliminal action that comes with it, you don't really have a, an active sense of it at all. But uh, for being mindful and actively experiencing a feeling and not doing anything about it, think of all the other things in your life that you aren't experiencing in that moment. And uh, I think that's a big deal. Like I think about myself lying on the couch and playing Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is amazing. And you should check out the Pete Cast about Zelda if you're overthinking it member because I liked it a lot. I liked recording it, and it meant a lot to me. And I hope and you guys it, like
0: it, too. Oh yeah, it's great. And and if you're not a member, you should be coi- you should become a member of Overthinking and support us with a small monthly uh, small monthly fee and get awesome stuff like the Pete Cast.
1: And so. When I think about lying on the couch and playing Zelda, and I think about, you know, the game kind of fading in and out and the screen getting light and dark, and in the moments where the screen is dark, my TV screen, looking in the screen and seeing the reflection of myself, and I'm just lying there on the couch at sort of a 30-degree angle, <laughs> right, like, like barely – my head is sort of like barely not parallel to the horizontal axis of the seating area. My head is like back. And just no active musculature above my shoulders is engaged. I am just sort of not participating in the suspension of my head in any meaningful way because it's all pain. Like everything going on in my head at that moment is pain. I have a headache because of – I have caffeine withdrawal because I'm unable to drink coffee. I've I've got toothaches. I've got jaw aches because they pried my jaw open so hard that I sprained or hurt the joints in my jaw, You know, like all that kind of stuff. But I'm participating – what I'm participating in, my world is the Zelda. That's what's going on, and and I'm trying to not participate in the world of the wisdom tooth pain. Now, I could put aside the Zelda and and participate in the wisdom tooth pain, or I can put aside the wisdom tooth pain and participate in the Zelda. What's really hard to do is to be John McClane, where you are both – crawling across the floor of a broken glass, and planning the next three steps in your terrorist situation, right? Like your, your terrorist situation, as it were. Um, it, it is hard to sort of have the full experience of everything you're engaged with when one of those things is a very sharp, uh, immediate, powerful physical pain stimulus. Mm. And, and, uh, and so – I guess we're talking both about the idea of getting into a mental state where you're reducing your sense of sensation in general and also getting into a mental state where you are isolating your sense of sensation. Both of these involve disengaging from the sort of uh, conscious experience of yourself that comes and goes with your waking and sleeping. Yeah. Which is a sort of the basis of the person that is the story person. The the story of my life, I, you know, I bring her home i drive all night to keep her warm and time is frozen like that that story of your life um uh is uh, is a story of a conscious person for the most part and and that's a thing that kind of comes together and falls apart and so uh which and i hate it i don't know if you do you hate this but i hate it when my conscious self falls apart oh my goodness it is terrible i hate being under the influence of sedatives or 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 being under oh god i had horrible and horrible visiony dreams about jamie lannister uh and i going on some sort of death quest on a train in the desert and becoming two-dimensional like some sort of true detective thing and it was totally messed up being under the wisdom tooth drugs and then waking up in the middle of the procedure and being like am i supposed to be awake what's going on um well yeah anyway anyway exactly
0: percocet is a flat circle
1: (laughs) percocet is a flat circle but (laughs) I, i guess part of what i'm saying here is um you could even use this as an interpretive avenue for looking at stories. Next time you see a story that seems to be missing something, like missing a lot, maybe ask yourself, is there a lot of pain that is, exists in the sort of realm of experience that this, this story is associated with that the story is uh, providing you some sort of focus away from? Uh, and I think that a lot of a lot of three camera sitcoms kind of work this way where there's something about it uh, that the experience of it would be more full if you were to assume that watching it you're also suffering from some sort of horrible injury <laughs> and that like this is the thing that's supposed to make you that this is the thing that's supposed to pull the degree of your attention and the degree of your conscious, construction of yourself and the degree of, your, of how other people consciously construct themselves, this is the sort of uh, not even multitasking, not even like full tasking, like .75 tasking uh, that, that you do in order to continue to exist as a person when you're in pain.
0: Yeah, that the, there's kind of a palliative effect to the uh, there's a palliative effect to the three camera sitcom to uh, to home improvement. I mean, home improvement. It's not exactly self improvement, but it's uh, it's self maintenance at least.
1: It is funny. You it is funny to consider home improvement from the standpoint that the only thing Tim is trying to fix is his own body. Right. That he's like in a coma, and he's like trying to repair damage to his organs. And he's like, oh, more power, Ho, ho, ho. And it's like, Tim, you're destroying the house.
0: Well, that would like, be that would be a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode. That wouldn't be. <laughs> Home Improvement episode <laughs> Wilson
1: and the fence is like the veil to right. the other side
0: Yeah, exactly, it's like one moon Circles <laughs> or, uh, or what's the thing, oh it's a Cellular peptide cake
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. It's well. When when, once you get into that, we are we're kind of uh, squarely in the realm of of metaphorical pain or sort of emotional emotional states that sort of correlate to pain in our discourse about them, right? Because like the sort of anesthetizing uh, the the anesthetizing effects of home improvement uh, sort of work on your crappy life. They don't necessarily work on your sprained ankle, you know. And that. No.
1: I I think. I mean, there's a reason that they play it in hospital. Hospitals, right? I guess- like the TV in the hospital doesn't tend to show you like the latest uh, Netflix documentary about how killer whales are being tortured. <laughs> I was, I,
0: I was in the, I was in the hospital a couple years ago, um, waiting through a quintuple bypass. It took a, a whole day, and uh, it was
1: not, not you, not doing it
0: though. No, no, I was, I was waiting through the quintuple bypass yeah. for for someone I know who was the patient, and. Um, the, the, the tv was on uh like usa and it was it was playing you know like edited steven seagal movies or like level a level of a film like that and this was like this is absolutely inappropriate yeah. for uh it was a va hospital too which sort of <laughs> <laughs> adds flavor to the uh um To the whole thing. Well, okay. So, I mean, fair enough, but the, the, I, I, I would suggest that perhaps the most, the more common use of them of, of the more opiate of the masses type of, of television is, uh, you know is a kind of distraction from the uh is a sort of a distraction from from the level of reality like one of the things that you're talking about in terms of or one of the things that's implicit in what you're saying about um being able to choose to participate in in zelda or choose to participate in the apocalypse that's going on in every part of your head at a a given moment right like uh, one or the other yeah the the apocalypse (laughs) in hyrule or the apocalypse in uh you know in your own biology is that it it seems to to point to something like ego splitting like something that that psychoanalysts call ego splitting which is that there's like an observed and an experiencing self right that you can kind of that there is some sort of executive function um that like uh uh, it's, it's sort of a trolley problem. It's not, not a trolley problem, right? Because there is an executive you kind of at a switch, which is like, Hyrule, my own head. Hyrule, my own head. And then there's kind of the experiencing you, right? That's going to go, that's going to kind of deal with the consequences or of whatever the switch flipper, uh, is is going to do and and sort of you're sort of withdrawing I mean it, even the the moment of decision however short it is you're sort of withdrawing from either experience and kind of choosing to choosing to participate in one or, or the other so this kind of seems to seems to imply that there is some level of consciousness or experience that is outside of the or some level of consciousness that's outside of the immediate experience of uh, of what's going on in uh, in any given moment like that right
1: right there's some sort of arbiter that there's an arbiter you that arbitrates which you is going to be the present you
0: and we're back in in Star Trek the Next generation <laughs> right
1: because... it makes sense well so one of the one of the to digress somewhat one of the intellectual trends or rather intellectual tropes that really bothers me is this notion that cognitive science, has been showing us over the course of the last, you know, 15 years or so, different instances wherein uh, observable, observable phenomenon can be shown to foil our idea of how decisions happen, that, oh... We can measure someone's brain and realize that the brain has made the decision the person is going to make before the person has made – the person can report consciously that they have made a decision. And this is, is supposed to demonstrate and it does to an extent demonstrate that decision-making – well, what it does demonstrate is that decision-making doesn't work the, th- the way we think it works. What it is purported to demonstrate is that decision-making doesn't exist. And
0: yeah, or what, I, it, what, it, what it's yep. purported to demonstrate is that, like, uh, I don't know, it's purported to demonstrate all kinds of crazy BS. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, um, please don't buy their ebooks on the internet.
1: Well, yeah like like the idea that because monkeys can identify a color in their brains before they can point to it therefore like this is proof about the non-existence of the soul and it's like those things aren't really related <laughs> but
0: or, uh, yeah, or I, yeah, yeah I was even thinking of more of yeah. more base and and more you know sort of degraded applications that like you know because the the you know I don't know certain decisions are made about uh, certain decisions about are made about um, uh, whether we like someone or don't like someone within the the first 500 milliseconds of encountering them that has effects for how you should pick up girls at bars and things like that that's (laughs) that's that's, that's not that is not accurate
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's like how when relativity came out in physics all of a sudden poetry literature history uh, music, all incorporate ideas around the notion of whatever the word relative meant in their context at that time. <laughs> and that's,
0: I mean, and that's. I think that's great as long as we as long as you sort of go at it with the meta with the cognitive framework that this is like this is a a richly evocative metaphorical system and yeah. let 's see what it can do for us creatively rather than like this is the new truth you know yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i think i think this that all loops back to what we're talking about with regards to pain and stories wherein oftentimes it's elaborate metaphor and not really hard truth that you're dealing with and in terms of the experience of these characters. So don't base your own life off of a fictional character if you're suffering from some sort of chronic illness because they probably don't have a realistic way of dealing with a chronic illness or injury. Uh, but but to, to put aside all that stuff, it's this idea that your environment, yourself, your consciousness, agency, person, in all of its various degrees that it might be said to exist, you know, thought-wise, idea-wise, biologically, physiologically, is bigger than the constructive active conscious self, uh, which is easily demonstrable in a whole bunch of different ways. I think that's sort of what we're getting at. And, and that that—that and that part of you that is outside of what you consider yourself to be is also you, <laughs> is this sort of what we're, i think what we're putting out there a little bit that it's not necessarily this foreign thing or it's not necessarily something that's taken away uh, but it it this idea that if you if you can de- if you can decide to ego split therefore you there must be a you that isn't part of your ego i guess is is that what um yeah something you, yeah
0: that is definitely that is definitely connected with with what i 'm talking about. I also think it's something that can be trained um, and you know like sometimes in therapy people get better at doing it over the course of over the course of time it's a it's a capacity that you can develop you know um, i i was once uh someone once proposed to me um, a two by two matrix uh right and so the the axes are I know and you know knowledge I have and knowledge you have and it's it's binary it's uh you either have or don't have and I either have or don't have knowledge. So there's the you. So think about your own personality for a second and think about it in relationship to another person. You, you are you, uh, or sorry, I am I and, and the other person is you just for this, the, the sake of trying to make this already extraordinarily convoluted explanation, um, make some sort of sense. So in a two by two matrix, there are four cells. So there's the self that I know. And, you know, that's the kind of the public face, Right. There's the self that I know that you don't know, which is my private experience. Maybe we're just colleagues and you don't know my family life. Maybe you don't know something about my history. There's a private self. Right. There is a self that you know that I don't know. Which are my blind spots and the things that trip me up and, and, you know, stuff that I'm not, uh, necessarily able to articulate, but that like everyone around me is like, Oh God, there goes Matt with his blah, 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 blah. Um, that, that's, that's that one. And then a, a, fourth self, the self that, that, uh, that you don't know and I don't know, which is sort of mystery and like, uh, this was in a spiritual context. So it was like, this is the kind of the room for spirituality and growth and, and, uh, and things like this, and I'm not sure how useful that is on a on a day to day basis. But I think anything that kind of gets us gets us square with the idea that our what what it, what we are is um, does not overlap entirely with the Venn diagram of what we're conscious of being. Right? Mm. Is a good uh, uh, is a good thing a little bit, and like that that. Um, I don't know. Uh that that thing. I mean, I I feel like um I, I don't know, I feel like the the sort of meditation technique, uh you know, the mindfulness meditation technique which is not necessarily not necessarily sort of focused based but more like awareness based, more more sort of attend, more mm, sort of not getting uh, not getting distracted based, or I guess you can call it focus, but it's, it's supposed to be very easy and not sort of forced. I mean, there's some other things. I don't know. Meditation is one of those things. It's like, uh, uh, what do you, uh, meditation? Oh, what kind? It's like, wait, oh, you do sports. Oh, I automatically understand everything about what you do because you do sports, right? Cause there aren't many different kinds. Um, and you know, in my, Sort of uh, investigation into it, I feel like you you just scratch the just scratch the surface. But the the um, it it does seem to me to militate against certain certain trends of the environment that I think are not super adaptive, like uh, uh, distraction, like constant distraction is is. Um, Constant distraction is one of them, and also sort of like just not uh, not having to do, not having to um, re- uh, react or respond in a way, and just kind of just kind of experiencing, trying to experience phenomena, even just the phenomena of thought. Like if you can kind of um, you know kind of watch a thought happen without necessarily believing it or necessarily. Um, Necessarily, kind of uh, jumping onto it and riding it, you know, uh, riding the train of thought to uh, wherever it's headed. Uh, It, it, I don't know. It sort of tends to help in the day to day, and that too is a kind of a thing of ego splitting, like like we're talking about, where there is there is a kind of an, uh, an executive self in a uh and an observed self and i'm i'm sure like as as regards the the practice of meditation my my explanations are really inexact or 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 crappy but it doesn't um you know but it it doesn't uh uh uh, it doesn't matter really because the the observed and the the executive self like are are these two I don't know like the the extent to which you can make your executive self more of a caretaking <laughs> executive self as opposed to like a sort of stern disapproving executive self seems to be um, uh, you know seems to be uh, it seems like it would correlate with with uh, subjective. A little more subjective happiness, right? Um, and and that this is why, yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting. This is why it seems difficult to sort of tell stories about pain uh, because it doesn't it doesn't kind of admit to the executive self. It's just kind of a flood of it's just a flood of experience that 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 that, that traps you a little bit and in in, uh, in that right.
1: It definitely foils your ability to control what part of yourself is yourself. And that and that kind of coherence of that seems important in narratives based on the Odyssey, which is
0: most-
1: – Because <laughs> <laughs> Odysseus is the great contender and he endures a lot of pain. But there's – I can't think of any part of the Odyssey that really stands out to me, which is about uh, Odysseus being in pain. There's definitely parts of it where – He's in pain and where it's important to the story that he's – like when he's hanging from the plants over the maw of Charybdis. Certainly that's not a comfortable situation, but the story isn't about how his arm hurts. Uh, I often joke uh, about – when I'm joking about Greek tragedy, which is all the time, I like to joke about philosophies, which is – because uh, you know we, we have these ideas – that come from the Greeks through the Romans to us. And the Romans came up with these very simplified ways of referring to what happens in Greek tragedy, uh, such that it seems more systematic and more organized, you know, in ways that the Romans would be comfortable with. Like, oh, so it, you check one of these three boxes, you check one of these five boxes, and then you're all set. And that's sort of the Roman view on Greek tragedy. And and this, so we have these ideas of like tragic heroes and tragic flaws and uh, philosophies and, and Corrin, correct me if i'm wrong man but philosophy's tragic flaws that his foot really hurts <laughs> I, <laughs> which is what i love about it which is that like his foot is infected and i think this is the story is that velocities has the access to the bow of hercules that needs to get brought back to troy in order to win the war and there's like a prophecy or god says he need to have the bone arrows to win the war and Velocities – but phlosities got an infection in his foot and was left to die on a random island and so somebody has to go back and get him and he's just like oh i'm in so much pain oh it sucks so much it hurts so much it's so bad and and, and it's like uh okay <laughs> and a lot of the story is kind of taken up with philosophy's complaining and being unhappy and there are other themes in stories it's better than that but the idea that this is sort of a tragic flaw of his personality is kind of amusing because we don't think of that as a as something that's characteristic of a person uh, or a hero that although it's funny because we'll say it as being characteristic of people we know all the time like oh that person is always complaining or always seems unhappy right like like but we don't think that of uh like, well, who, what do you think about the Avengers? Well, this one's always in pain and always complaining. Like Hulk always has to I, ice his lower back. Like that's not really how it works. That gets kind of omitted from a lot of our fictional characters. And I think you think about Odysseus dealing with pain, it's what he does other than the pain that becomes the story. It's the things that happen other than the pain that are that become uh, what we think of as him. And this, this uh, executive self, this ego splitting that happens, happens in the story too. It happens in Click. Click is about this. Click is like the Odyssey, in that it's about a contender who is getting supernatural help and is dealing with situations that are intolerable and finding a way to tolerate them. Right, with Intending.
0: with with Christopher Walken as the shrink, right? Like, yes, to, and, to... and
1: yeah, and, and with the the ultimate goal of. Rejoining with his wife uh, is sort of what he's trying to accomplish in both stories. It's really just a shot-for-shot remake of The Odyssey is what I'm
0: saying. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, a, uh, it's interesting to talk about it phenomenologically because it's, it's very hard not to get into a kind of moral – uh, discussion about it, right? Like, cause I think there's sort of a normative claim that, like, Adam Sandler should not make movies. Oh, sorry. Uh, Adam Sandler should not skip parts of his life that he finds <laughs> unpleasant, right? That, uh, it's, um, that this is bad for him to do. It's, it's negative. It has bad consequences and sort of ne- negative, uh, consequences on, on, uh, on all of the other people and a little bit like who, who are we to say, Uh, I disagree
1: with you on that. I I I think that you shouldn't do it. I think that, but I think that might just be a very subjective sort of statement that is based on really core ideas about who you think you are and how you think you would do it. Um, Like, I mean, the big thing is, is you know. You know what? They used to say religion opiate of the masses. You know what the opiate of the masses is now, (laughs) Matt?
0: Yeah, it's it's opiate. It's opioids, right? synthetic
1: derivatives and synthetic uh, uh, imitations of it, yes, which is that you do have an option in today's society to skip a lot of the pain that you're feeling, and a lot of people are doing it, and it turns out to introduce a whole bunch of problems to everybody else as well as to you. So maybe maybe there is – and again, I'm not saying that I want to be a jerk to people, But uh, I'm not saying I want to be really rude. You certainly want to handle these things in a sort of civilized and nice sort of manner. But I I think that it – and I can understand why you would not want to make this sort of moral claim about other people because certainly my pain and your pain are different. But based on my own experience of my pain, I definitely think there's something to be said for not letting the – really powerful biological and physiological urge to compartmentalize your experience away from your pain, like not letting that consume your entire experience of yourself. Like, I tend to think that like drawing some sort of line, even if it involves forcing yourself to experience pain, as hard as that is, like... And again, you can't go as far as Fight Club. It's not like you holding your hand out and chemical burning yourself is a good thing. But click, I think Click is a good movie about pain because it shows you the real cost of of – Prioritizing pain management over everything else. Sure.
0: Well, it's a, it's, uh, yeah. You say cost. I would say trade off. Right? Yeah, right? is another is another way of looking at it. And it it does. You're right in that it does kind of get to your idea of the good life, right? Like uh, yeah, pretty quickly because there's there's I don't know perhaps a severity or a, a duration um, beyond which you know, that, that resolve starts to crumble. But, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I connected it early in our conversation with, with aging and it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a related but distinct phenomenon, I think, right? Like when, when I sort of think about it, my stock joke about the, the, H-I-M is that I, I don't consider myself old by any means, but I have crossed the threshold where I have to do things proactively not to hurt all yeah. the time, right? <laughs> right, right? Like, and that's, some of those things are, are things I do. And some of those things I, are things I don't do, right? Like avoiding certain foods or avoiding, uh, uh, certain foods at certain times. Um, the, the stretching like religiously before I, you know, before I do stuff, doing my like physical therapy exercises, For this stupid Achilles thing, like, and, and, uh, you know, and more, more and more, you sort of start to, um, you start to, it's, it's, I'm, I'm taken with your, uh, correction of me from before. It's not, it's not that you start to, uh, become more vulnerable. It's you start to kind of become more sensible of the vulnerability that you had all along. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, um, you know, one of the, the sort of privileges of youth is that you, you get temporarily <laughs> to ignore that, uh, vulnerability <laughs> in, in certain ways, which is one of the, the sort of great gifts and also downsides of, uh, of that time. And, um, you know, that, that, uh, the, when, when we said we were, when we said we were going to talk about, uh, talk about topics around this area, um, Jordan Stokes piped in, in our chat room and said, oh, tell the, uh, tell the podcast audience that I, I'm so old, I managed to sprain my foot in my sleep. The other night, when when he stepped down on the ground, he found he found out that uh, he would be favoring favoring the other side all day, Um, and that like uh, you know, there there is this um, I don't know I, I I'm sort of open to the idea that that uh my convictions about these sort of things change as my experience and values change as i age yeah. you know and that yeah. that um and and actually that you know what is different what is the kind of the right uh the right set of Decisions for a younger person might not be the right set of decisions for an older person. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's difficult to say, and you don't want to like, uh, you know, uh, trivialize or invalidate anybody's experience because these things are so subjective and so personal, yeah. right?
1: That's true. I would even say, and again, to really get more into aging here. One of the foundational – I'm going to conjecture this again, another conjecture. One of the foundational circumstances about building the self, how the self develops as you get older, I would posit, is how you decide you want to cope with the increased demand to divert your attention toward or away from pain that you feel. mm And that that this is a huge part – this becomes a huge part of your personality. Divert your attention. Care for yourself. Uh, When you're younger, pain can happen, and you can think of it as something that's just sort of unfortunate, uh, that it will be temporary. It will leave, and I won't have to deal with it for a while. And also maybe even – Oh, I you know, I I hurt my I broke my arm skiing. It's going to feel better when it's done and it won't have really affected who I am in any sort of really right. significant way. Yeah,
0: exactly. The cast the cast will itch for a while, but that's yeah. temperate. That's it, that'll go away and stuff, yeah.
1: But by the time you're older, you've you've been conditioned by enough Pavlovian stimulus that you've really started to wear some ruts into how you deal with being hurt. And as we've mentioned, you do get more resi- less resilient, you also in, uh, endure more repetitive use injuries, more injuries related to imbalance, inflexibility, things like stretching. Be- stretching is is like the arbiter we talked about before, in that it's like <laughs> it, it, right, you can either decide whether or not to hurt, or you can decide like what sort of self you're going to bring to the decision, <laughs> right? You can like remove the decision by an order of magnitude or an order of of degree. You can integrate it into like one one degree, one uh, one prime up or down, and one way to do that. That is to like decide to stretch rather than decide to hurt or not, uh, and that way hopefully you don't have to deal with it as much. But um, but but yeah, I think that as you hurt, and especially as hurting becomes a bigger share of what you do with your time as you get older, what you do about that, so I think so defines who you are as a person as you age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Because you said you're talking about meditation, and there I could totally envision a kind of self. Who's an older person, a wise person who uses meditation as a way of dealing with the pains of the world like that feels to me totally like a coherent way to construct a self and to live a self. That could be a really important priority, really core to you. And with it, this notion of sort of non-judgmentalness, oh, I can see how that combines with it, too. Because this idea of, like, if I need to be capable of mindfulness surrounding my own pain, then I need to also not be all that super judgmental about how other people experience pain. Because then I would have to be judgmental to myself about how I experience pain. And that gets in the way of mindfulness. Uh, And that gets away with certain sort of meditation techniques and and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, you sort of see how it spirals out, and different aspects of how you age can be affected by that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I,
0: I would generalize your point to saying it's not—it's not just pain. It's—it's it's, um, uh, something about embodiment or limitation, right? Yep. Like how you are one of the things that happens is—is is that you kind of wear ruts into your attitude towards towards your own limitations and how you how you deal with them. I mean sort of realizing that you have them is actually step 0 in that in that process. And as we um, you know, I and I feel like Pete one of like just where where we are cuz we're the same age more or less and the, and the um one of the, the developmental tasks, like one of the things that I struggle with kind of on a personal level, yeah, that struggle that, that I sort of encounter a lot and, and try to work with on a personal level is the idea that like, Oh, maybe it's not like, maybe it's not like a limitless horizon of, of personal growth after this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That like, may, maybe I am the way I am uh, a little bit now. And that, it's, it's probably better to learn how to use myself skillfully rather than to try to like, I don't know, uh, go on a, uh, 15 step plan to, I, you know, I don't know, revolutionize your, your brain or something like that. Right. Like, uh, and that, that, that was more of a, that's, um, uh, more of a feature of, of my younger mind, you know, that like, I, you know, I would think that like, Oh, I can fix that. Or I can get stronger in that area or I can, um, you know, I don't know, uh, change or something. And, and that like, and that you can, you can sort of develop certain capacities, but it's, they're, they're incremental, um, compared with some of the, the large changes, uh, that happen in, in younger life. And so dealing with that, I mean, dealing with the idea of sort of restriction, limitation, embodiment, um, limitation of agency, things like this, that, 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 and that, that sort of goes with, with pain because sort of no one would choose. I mean, you know, the, the, right. Like, uh, uh, the whole point of the Brad Pitt character in fight club is that, that he's uh, nuts and that, uh, no, no, no one chooses the chemical burn, right? No one chooses the, no, no, one with a healthy healthily constituted psyche chooses the chemical burn you know and that like the um uh so so pain is one of those things at that level anyways one of those limitations that like um Is one of those uh, limitations that has to do with embodiment, that has to do with lack of control, and your sort of disposition toward that uh, is is one of the things that makes people different and is one of the, like, settling that is one of the the sort of developmental tasks of, of where we're at, I guess.
1: Yeah. It, speaking of dentist offices, you know, <laughs> surgery offices, this reminds me a lot of one of the things I got to do while I was waiting for my follow-up appointment, which was uh, look through magazines. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember that part of pop culture? Right. Magazines. Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs>
0: High- highlights for children. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Well, I'm, I'm looking at – what I'm looking at right now is the cover of Men's Fitness, which is such a freaking god-awful <laughs> – I don't want to be mean. I shouldn't be too mean because you know what? I read it and I find it god-awful, but I bet you it's good at being a magazine because because this is the whole question of like what is, it, what is it to be a magazine? What is a magazine trying to accomplish? And I look at the cover of Men's Fitness. Men's Fitness and Men's Health are sort of similar. Uh, and again, I, I'm not trying to prioritize the male experience. It just happens to be the one that I'm, I'm living for the most part. So uh, men's fitness and men's health have been a presence in my life for a while in a way that maybe they have not been present in your life, regardless of your gender or sexual expression or anything else. So this is not to say that you have to read men's health or men's fitness. In fact, I would advise you probably not to. But the point is that it's they've, they've over time established this very comfortable place to live. And men's fitness, which used to be like men's health, but without a shirt, like men's health was like the respectable one that had a shirt and men's fitness was like no shirts and men's health would have like general interest stories and men's fitness would have like more kinds of butt sit ups or whatever. And now they've sort of converged a little bit more and a little bit more similar, but it's all about like, yeah, exercise. It's also all about how not to die when you go to the doctor. It's a big one. There's like lots of stories about like, oh, if you're going to have a heart attack, this is what you need to do. Like how to eat dinner in a way that you won't die. And uh, like, oh, this, if you eat this cheeseburger, you'll have artery bust you know, eruptions of misery. Whereas, if this you eat this cheeseburger, you're going to be slim and fab for for summer. But I'm looking at the cover of the current issue of Men's Fitness, which I read cover to cover in about the 15 or 20 minutes that I was sitting. That <laughs> no, was more than 15 or 20 minutes; more like 45 minutes waiting for my uh, my follow up appointment. Are you saying Are you like, saying
0: that you don't read Men's Fitness for the articles?
1: No, I'm just saying that it takes a long time sometimes to see your dentist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that uh, here are the things. Fast abs, sculpt a six pack in minutes. Uh, stay young with these secrets. Um, Adam Levine, the voice and maroon five star, the plan that keeps him fit at 38. And then it just says, your cardio sucks. And what this all resonates to me about is your description of the endless horizon that you're coming to terms with as you get older. Right, exactly. The, the men's fit, the men's magazines, and I—I I, I can only surmise that women's magazines do the same thing. Oh,
0: it's—I mean, you can we can't have this conversation without uh, acknowledging that in a man's life it's a minor inconvenience, and in a woman's life it's a dystopian hellscape. Like we got That's the lo- so we got more. the the long end of the stick on that double standard for sure.
1: I'm trying to find the current cover of like Cosmo and what, what sort of oh, nonsense God. that you're supposed to be doing, uh, or like what sort of nonsense you're supposed to expect yourself to be capable of doing. But it is amazing how many of the articles in this piece are like, do you want a very fast, transformative thing that will advance and change your life forever and, and like happen instantly? Like do this bunch of stuff. And, and then when you sort of line them all up, it's all the same stuff, right? It's like different variations on the same stuff, none of which is going to produce the results as quickly as they say that it will, and all of which is best suited for like long-term application for the sort of long-term maintenance of your body and health, right? But but the way the magazine purports it is that like it, 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 uh, if, if we were talking about integration, now we get the derivative, right? We, like, we take the Riemann sum by slicing it up into infinite tiny pieces, <laughs> <laughs> and then we just leave the infinite pieces in different pages of magazines rather than figure out how much they amount to. Each individual article ends up having uh, math, mat, The lim- as the limit of the article, <laughs> the limit of the number of, as N approaches infinity, the limit for the amount of information in each of these individual fitness tips approaches zero, right? Because it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But uh, but this idea of like, oh, you could, if you do these sit-ups, you're going to get awesome abs. And if you do these curls, you're going to get awesome biceps. And it's like, all of these things are sort of true depending upon the time frame you're dealing with how much of it you 're willing to do, how much pain you 're willing to endure, how healthy you are, what you all of right? Sort yeah of yeah
0: you 're starting your starting condition the the other things in your lifestyle that affect your you know yeah. your anabolic potential, right like all those things
1: right but but the main thing is that the magazine is efforting to not to like stay away from those parts of your internal arbiter that are attempting to wrestle with this notion of the the like the the infinite horizon maybe not being infinite (laughs) right like uh like 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 this all basically like that's a really painful and difficult thing to deal with we're just going to find a way to talk about things that have to do with it uh what is it tell the truth but tell it slant right
0: that's yeah (laughs) that's what frost right
1: yeah, yeah, and it's like, we're going to tell the truth about how to maintain yourself as you get older, but we're going to do it in such an indirect and, and fakakta way that we're going to, like, not acknowledge the passage of time as a thing that exists. It's just this bizarre thing where it's like, do they know? They have to know that there's five different articles that say the same thing in this magazine.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, of course they do, and you should yeah. always be wary. Like, like I say about cable news, like, be wary of, of business models that, that require you feeling something intense on a periodic yeah. basis. Right. Like beware of business models that, that, uh, require withholding information from you to like make you get the, uh, uh, to make you get the next thing. I'm Googling something. Um,
1: And I I don't want to just, I don't I'm not here to, to like bury men's fitness, because I will say that like, we were just also really, I'm, I'm
0: here to bury men's fitness, not, not (laughs) to praise it both as a magazine and as an aspiration.
1: We were just talking about how subjective it is and how each individual person has to come up with their own way of coping with these sorts of things as they get older. And that becomes a core part of your personality. And what men's fitness here is doing is appealing to a very specific sort of way of doing this, which is not the way that I do it. And so it feels very foreign to my identity and so i lash out at it very fiercely maybe the way that you cope is that you get you you spent six minutes a day and you got six-pack abs and that made you feel better about getting older and like maybe you like adam levine are a rock star at 38 and like that's how you're making it work i don't think adam levine is even like adam levine is in this magazine but i'm drifting anyway what were you googling matt what were you googling so i mean Just, we, it takes all kinds it takes all kinds we have been
0: talking cool. we have been talking about um We've been talking about uh, uh, the Odyssey before, and it just as as we sort of move towards closing, um, it uh, you know it's we we might uh, turn to Tennyson's Ulysses as a way. We've done
1: before recently, right? Like (laughs) uh, in the last six months. Wait, really? didn't we i thought we <laughs> did a tennyson episode <laughs> um but that, so turn to tennyson's ulysses let's do it
0: Let's ulysses, do it. ulysses finds himself in in a situation akin to what we're talking about uh yeah. in at the beginning and he's very you know he's he's very uh upset about his diminished horizons literally diminished uh in his case because he was you know out sailing the the mediterranean and the aegean and like all you know he was out you know adventuring uh and then he's old and uh it, right it begins it little profits that an idle king by this still hearth among these barren crags matched with an aged wife i meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me and like raise your hand if you've been there you know because that is that's that's like the that's the condition of uh, of middle age i think um But he sort of takes, he, he like, he takes off at the end of, uh, uh, at the end of Tennyson's Ulysses. And his, um, his, uh, final sort of, in the kind of peroration of this poem, his, his final line is his, his goal, his mission statement, um, right like at the top of of Ulysses Incorporated's corporate slide deck uh is written to strive to seek to find and not to yield and you know i i i think we could ask legitimately whether that is heroic or or whether that is sort of maladaptive right like whether whether that is a uh Sort of psychological denial, um, in a way that would not necessarily help us, or whether this is whether this is the the role model. Whether Ulysses, Tennyson's Ulysses, is the role model we need, and not necessarily Homer's Ulysses, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, because it's, it's, it, it's encouraging. I, I feel like it, it connects to what we are talking about before where it's like it's not actually a good way of describing the situation that Ulysses finds himself in, but it's a metaphor for something else maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but but finish it up. I mean what do you think about it? What you, what is your your take on it?
0: Well, it's it's uh I think it's it's difficult. Tennyson lived in a kind of different set of cultural assumptions than than we do. I mean the the relationship to um the relationship to youth and age uh were were a little bit different, but in 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 a um hmm in in an environment where it seems like the thing that we want to do with age is make it, is like erase it, uh, without being mm-hmm. seen to erase it, like to sort of, uh, and, and this is too, this is, I'm sure I've talked about this before. I once read a, a journal article or the abstract of a journal article because I could not access the whole journal article or something, but it was in a, in a journal called the journal of medical hypotheses, which is just the most wonderful title for a journal that you could, <laughs> you could imagine. And it was, it was talking about how, um, the, the, the modern economy requires a lot of neuroplasticity, um, mm-hmm. You have to master whole new sort of uh, realms of information. And that was not, that has not always been a a feature of our jobs. But if you, if you work in the knowledge economy, if you're a knowledge worker, you, you know, if you were doing it the same way as you did three years ago, uh, you know, you're probably obsolete and going to get fired. So the, the, um, the neuroplasticity is, is, a, though though I guess our brains change longer than they were originally assumed to, it 's still uh, most prevalent in youth, and the Journal of Medical Hypotheses was proposing that there might be some knock on effects to privileging and sort of rewarding the people who maintain this youthful quality um, you know up to uh, up into middle age, right, and that there might be some other psychological traits or other kind of social uh, ramifications, things you know externalities that like that come along with this that this sort of economic, uh, this economic change or this you know this change in, in the way we work might uh, you know do something about change in the way we are and I mean one of the things that you, that you notice is that like you know you 're supposed to like uh, um, you 're you're supposed to stay young forever. You know and that 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 this is something that this is something that is privileged uh the old are marginalized, the old who are trying to stay young women especially are ridiculed um and 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 it just it 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 seems to me that that there might be something to the idea that we should not uh that we should value age for the the qualities that it has right because sort of every everything is a trade-off and every stage comes with its own set of strengths and its own set of of blind spots and you know like like uh ulysses in tennyson's poem ulysses trying to sarge like he's 20 Mm. is you know and it's not helping anybody uh least of all him certainly not ithaca uh Mm. and that's uh it's probably something – I mean I, I would probably advocate a little more acceptance and a little more celebration of difference in the way that we deal with uh, differences in ourselves through time.
1: Interesting. I, I think when you're you're talking about Ulysses, the piece that stands out to me in talking about this is an essay by Ralph Waldo Emerson called Circles. Are you familiar with it? Uh No it's, I don't think it's thought of as a hugely major work of Emerson's, but I read it a long time ago and I really liked it. And then the sort of framing device of it is, uh, it's talking about changing the sort of way that you define the scope of reality that you're concerned with. And it's, it's, you know, it's Emerson's, it's a bit religious and and it's in terms of explaining these things. Uh, it uses a, a sort of divine framework for ideas of, of, you know, natural law and like Math and physics and emotion and this idea that that every time you think you've created some sort of frame that explains everything, you should consider that there are other frames of a greater degree or a smaller degree that might also expand or contract like your idea of what might be there, and that this goes on ad infinitum. That there is no uh, static way of understanding everything that's true, and that this the one of the things that makes that this makes important is change, and and a portion of it is about. Eight and I, I want to read uh, a paragraph from this. Uh, again, it's hard to get the sense without reading the whole thing, but I want to read a paragraph of this because it is – both it feels like nonsense, but it also feels uh, that there's some aspect of truth to it, if I may, Matt. Please. So – okay. So uh, – Thus there is no sleep, no pause, no preservation, but all things renew, germinate, and spring. Why should we import rags and relics into the new hour? Nature abhors the old, and old age seems the only disease. All others run into this one. We call it by many names, fever, intemperance, insanity, stupidity, and crime. They are all forms of old age. They are rest, conservatism, appropriation, inertia, not newness not the way onward. We grizzle every day. I see no need of it. Whilst we converse with what is above us, we do not grow old, but grow young. Infancy, youth, receptive, aspiring, with religious eye looking upward, counts itself nothing, and abandons itself to the instruction following from all sides. But the man and woman of 70, assume to know all, they have outlived their hope, they renounce aspiration, accept the actual for the necessary, and talk down to the young." Let them then become organs of the Holy Ghost, let them be lovers, let them behold truth, and their eyes are uplifted, their wrinkles smooth, they are perfumed again with hope and power. This old age ought not to creep on a human mind. In nature, every moment is new, the past is always swallowed and forgotten, the coming only is sacred. Nothing is secure but life transition and energizing spirit. No love can be bound by oath or covenant to secure it against a higher love. No truth so sublime that it may be trivial tomorrow in the light of new Thoughts. People wish to be settled. Only as far as they are unsettled is there any hope for them. Uh, And I I find this paragraph really interesting. And but I think that there is an unfortunate uh, cost that is paid in the choice of words that Emerson uses. Because he uses all these words about fertility, and part of it is that he's selling a business. He's, like, selling the transcendental way of thinking and, like, his lectures and his community, and he's excited about it. And he likes everybody, right? He's, like, a social guy. Uh, and so, of course, things are about being – and, of course, when you're talking to people who want to feel renewed, you want to talk about, like, like uh, change being an aspect of, like, youthfulness and sexiness and birth. Uh, but But – but what he 's talking about is change, and there is change that is not about birth and newness uh, in fact, we would I think we could even posit what we 've been talking about this whole podcast is change that is not associated with newness, but change that is associated with with time passing and enduring things and getting through things and being hurt and healing and being hurt and healing, which we talked about earlier as a kind of a unique sort of thing that humans go through among animals, uh, that we get hurt and we heal, we get hurt and we heal, and we find new ways to continue to keep surviving and doing what we're doing. Uh, And so this idea that the old gross static – because they have this notion of what age is and if only the old you're only as old as you feel right if you were to feel younger then you would be younger in your mind um, and, and I feel like the the problem there is is the notion of youth the idea that youth that that youth here is defined as similarity to people who are uh, have fewer years under their belts than you when what the the reality of youth here is about change. Which is that as the things keep happening to you and as the pain that you deal with keeps coming and the problems and the, the loss that you have to deal with, the mourning – we haven't gone into mourning and loss. You have to deal with all that stuff that comes along. That can be change for you. That can be stuff that changes who you are. That can be your reaction to that helps redefine who you are. And, and so in trying to deal with this expectation that like old people need to always be learning new things and doing new things, like they can and they do. But one thing – but I would, I would posit it as if you want to find the young part of an old person, think about what they aren't talking about. That, that, that's what I would say. That based on a lot of what we said today, if you're talking to an old person and you want to find out what about them is, is young – Consider when they talk what their arbiter is choosing to show you about themselves, what their sort of ego separation is, is focusing on, what sort of self they're choosing to define. What,
0: what is the self that they know and that they're letting you know?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Because that's the young – That's and then also then like what are they then choosing to leave behind and not, and not show you? And I feel like that's a big part of wisdom. Uh, that's a big part of of the advantage of of age. I mean, when you deal with – like when I deal with um – like business leaders who are really experienced, a lot of the things that I really appreciate about them is the stuff that they don 't bring up and the stuff they, they sort of assume is okay, and the stuff that 's sort of expected to be okay uh, the stuff that if at this point we should have this solved, and they don 't fret about it and they don 't well they maybe they fret about it, but they don 't tell me about it and, and that 's something that I really appreciate about somebody who feels like stable and experienced is is the stuff that they have that they they choose that not to be the part of them that both of you know about them. Um, and, and I, and I, and again, I think this relates to a lot of what we've been talking about and how do you recover from things and how do you move on? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my riff on Emerson today.
0: Good. That's, and, and what a, what a, what a way to end. So, uh, (laughs) thank you very much, Pete, for, uh, for, uh, talking and thanks for, uh, thanks for healing. And, and thanks for your uh, talking about Zelda as a Pete cast, which is available in the digital library in the members area of overthinking it. And uh, if you want to become a member of overthinking it, you can go to overthinkingitcom slash join to hear what Pete has to say at some length about, uh, about the new Zelda game. Um, all right. Well, we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast until then feel better. <laughs> And if you need to feel better, distract yourself from the agonizing pain of life at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny.
1: Yeah. Probably, probably does it deserve. You know, Matt, we didn't consider the primary intellectual and physio- philosophical authority on the subject of pain.
0: Uh oh. Who's that?
1: Uh, uh, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. Uh
0: huh. Uh huh.
1: You know what he says?
0: What? What is that?
1: Pain don't hurt. Think about it.